Well, good evening. Welcome to the uh, Lakewood Bible Chapel Sunday evening service. Uh, please open your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be uh, starting in verse 11. Uh, verse 11 reads, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, let's jump right in. Paul starts this evening's passage in verse 11 with the word, therefore. And so it's important to ask, what is therefore, therefore? In answering this question, we can't forget what Paul has just said. Paul starts off this chapter by explaining who we were before Christ saved us. We were dead, we were enslaved, and we were condemned. And Paul then moves on in verses 4 to 10 and explains that while we were in this state of total depravity, God intervened and took us in our deadness and made us alive together with Christ. And herein, Paul brings to light the doctrine of our union with Christ, that we died with him in his death, that we were raised with him in his resurrection, and that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Paul also emphasizes that our being united with Christ in this way is all of grace and nothing of ourselves. So that's the context. That is what Paul has been saying just before our text this evening. And so now we see that Paul is exhorting us to remember something based on what he has just said. He wants us to go back one more time and remember the condition that we were in before Christ. In particular, the condition we Gentiles were in before our union with Christ. He has just finished laying out what God has done for us. Now he wants to take a moment and have us remember what things were like before God intervened, before God saved us by grace through faith, before the Father made us alive together with Christ, before grace, before the great love with which he loved us. And so that is the purpose of our text this evening, to remember. But before Paul moves forward, he takes a brief moment to highlight that the Jews didn't have it all together either. Paul says the following in verse 11, The Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. In this phrase, Paul is referring to a derogatory term that the Jews often called the Gentiles when he uses the word uncircumcision. The point Paul is making is that the Jews upheld this sign of the Abrahamic covenant as something which made them better 
than the Gentiles. The Gentiles whom the Jews viewed as lowly dogs who weren't circumcised like them and therefore weren't a part of God's chosen people like them. And then we see Paul say the following, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. These are fighting words. Paul is bringing to light the fact that while the Jews may have been circumcised on the outside, their circumcision was only skin deep, so to speak, and wasn't true circumcision. Paul tells us what true circumcision is in Romans 2, verses 28 to 29, when he says the following, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. This is why he referred to those who call Gentiles the uncircumcision, the so-called circumcision. True circumcision for the Jews was not just a medical procedure, but it was something that pointed to the truer spiritual condition of the heart. And just in case it's not clear, Paul highlights that the procedure is merely something done in the flesh with human hands. And that's not enough. It's not enough to go through the motions if there's no change in the heart. And this isn't just a problem for the Jews, uh, but it's a problem that everyone faces. It's so easy to live out our day-to-day lives doing Christian things. But if our hearts are not truly regenerated, if we are not truly Christ's, if we have not actually been made alive in Christ, then we could do all the Christian things in the world and it would mean nothing. Things like faithfully coming to church every Sunday, like reading our Bibles daily, like regularly and consistently tithing, even sharing the gospel with people. Now, don't get me wrong, these are all good things to be practicing in the Christian life, but they are pointless if you are just going through the motions and your heart hasn't actually been changed. These things are pointless if you are dead in your transgressions and sins, if you are still enslaved to this world, to Satan, and to your flesh. These things are pointless if you still stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. As we saw in Romans 2, circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. Let me challenge you to think about whether or not you are living out your lives like the Jews and looking to the Christian things you do as your proof of the genuineness of your faith. Or do you actually love Jesus? Do you actually desire to know Him, to learn more of Him, to obey Him? Let's consider Paul's exhortation in Philippians 2 when he says the following, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's the question. Have you repented of your former life? And are you now walking in newness of life? If you have not, if you are are still living in the world and not for Christ, then I challenge you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if you don't know Christ, then I plead with you to consider the salvation that he offers you. 
Do you believe in him as your Lord and as your Savior? Do not let yourself walk out of these doors this evening without knowing where you stand before Christ. So now that Paul has made it clear that while the Jews had their advantages, which we'll get to in a moment, they also had their problems. And with this clarification, he now returns to the original point that he was making, namely, that because of all that the Father has done by by grace through faith to make us alive together with Christ, to unite us with Christ, because of all of that, we should remember who we were when we Gentiles were alienated from Christ. Paul demonstrates our former alienation by bringing to light five different ways in which we were far off. Paul mentions these in verse 12, which reads, Remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. First, we were without Christ. Second and third, we were alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Fourth, we had no hope. And fifth, we were without God in the world. Now, it's important to realize in these five things that Paul is contrasting the Gentiles and Jews here. Particularly, he's contrasting the true spiritual alienation of the Gentiles, which was not the same for the Jews. On the contrary, the Jews had every spiritual advantage when it came to salvation. And this is at the the core of Paul's argument in the epistle to the Romans, actually. If we turn to Romans for a moment and take a look at chapter 3, we see that Paul starts to discuss these advantages in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. And then in verse 3 of chapter 3, Paul takes this huge parenthesis and explains the inner working of our salvation all the way up to Romans chapter 9, verse 3, where he picks this theme back up again of the advantage that the Jews have. And he says the following in Romans chapter 9, verses 3 to 5. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises who are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Here's the point. Not even the Jews, with all of their advantages, were able to find salvation apart from Christ. In fact, this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 10, when he says the following in verses 1 to 4, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for not knowing about the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If the Jews, with all of their advantages, were not able to do it, how can we Gentiles, who were far off from Christ, ever have had a chance to find salvation on our own? We can't. Paul emphasizes this in the five ways that we as Gentiles were far off. Let's briefly consider each of them now. First, we were without Christ. Now, we must remember here that Paul is explaining Gentile disadvantages. And so we should be asking, how were the Jews with Christ and the Gentiles without Christ? James Montgomery Boyce says the following about this question. The clue to what Paul is probably thinking of is the word Christ, which means the anointed one or Messiah. That is, he is thinking in the same way he was in writing Romans 9.5 when he spoke of Jewish advantages, saying, Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all forever praised. This means that the Messiah came to Jews and was perceived by Jews. Since they were not Jews, Gentiles were cut off from this advantage. The Gentiles in their fallen and alienated state were not united to Jesus by saving faith. Of course, that was also true of the Jews. But unlike the Jews, Gentiles had not even had a chance to know Christ. Their religion was totally pagan. They did not even have the expectation of a Savior. Now this holds so much more weight when you consider what Paul has just finished teaching us in verses 4 to 10. Namely, that we as Gentile believers have been united with Christ, that we have been raised up with Christ, that we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We as Gentile believers are now with Christ in the most intimate, profound, and meaningful sense. But there was a time when we were without Christ. There was a time when we were far off, when we were living outside the mercy and love of the Father, when we remained dead in our transgressions, when we had yet to be saved by grace, when we had yet to be raised up with Christ, when we had yet to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. There was a time when we were not yet united with Christ in his death, and we were not yet united with Christ in his resurrection. And in our text this evening, Paul is telling us to remember that time. Praise the Lord then for the rich mercy and great love of the Father with which he loved us. The second and third ways in which we were far off are similar and related. Second, we Gentiles in the flesh were alienated from the citizenship of Israel. There was a time in the history of salvation when God had only revealed himself to his chosen people, the Jews. And so salvation was not possible, or was only possible, by becoming Jewish, for only the Jews had the promised Messiah. And this is the mystery that Paul will speak of in Ephesians 3, namely that now salvation is possible not only for the Jews, but also for us Gentiles. And it's by the same kind of faith that the Jews had in their promised Messiah, we Gentiles look back with faith 
on the fulfillment of that promise. Therefore, in order to be saved back then, you had to be Jewish. And so to be alienated from the citizenship of Israel was to be alienated from the possibility of salvation. Third, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Here Paul uses the word promise in its singular form, which tells us something of what Paul is saying. The promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12 is the promise from... Just a minute. (laughs) The promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12 is the promise from which all the covenants of Israel came. And therefore is what Paul has in mind when he says covenants of promise. Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 read as follows. And Yahweh said to Abraham, go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This blessing spoken of in Genesis 12, 3, where the father tells Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, suggests the notion of a promised Messiah. It also even hints that this Messiah would someday be for the world. But as Paul explains in our text this evening, this was not the case at first. These covenants, this promise, was not available to the Gentiles until the appointed time. Instead, Gentiles were strangers to the covenants of promise. As John Stott says, Israel was a commonwealth or nation under God, a theocracy and a covenant people to whom he had committed himself by a solemn pledge. Thus he had bound himself to them and ruled over them, but the Gentiles were excluded from this covenant and kingdom. The fourth and fifth ways in which we were far off are also similar. Fourth, we had no hope. And fifth, we were without God in this world. Our hope is found in Christ, isn't it? More specifically, our hope is found in our union with Christ, in our union with His death, and our union with Him in His resurrection unto new life. 1 Peter 1.3 says the following, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So to be without Christ is to be without hope because apart from our union with Christ, we are still dead in our transgressions and sins. Further, to be without Christ is also to be without God in this world. As believers, as those who know Christ and depend on Christ for every aspect of our lives, we are a people who have God in this world. I often wonder how people get through suffering, trials, and hardships apart from Christ. I often wonder how people go through life without God in this world. It is a sobering thought to remember that there was a time when we without God in this world, that we did not know Christ, that we did not depend on Christ for every aspect of our lives. 
that we at one time, like all the rest, suffered, went through trials, through hardship apart from Christ and without God in this world. To remember this, to remember these five ways in which we Gentiles were far off, to remember that these were once true about us should cause us to truly cherish what Paul previously taught us in verse 5, that the Father has made us alive together with Christ, that we now walk in union with Christ, that we are raised up with him, and that he has seated us with him in the heavenly places. Marvel at this all the more because God chose you for this in and of himself. We deserve none of this. There is nothing nothing in us that merits such blessing. It is all of grace, as Paul has just explained in verses 8 and 9 when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Marvel also at what this says about our salvation. We were so far off brothers and sisters, so far off that it is clear that there was no way that we would ever be able to close that gap. We did not have enough determination. We did not have enough righteousness. We did not have enough fortitude to make even an inch of progress in the right direction on our own. We were stained with the sin that separated us from God. The distance that we stood was so far off from God that we were without Christ and without God. This means that God would have to do something about this. But the point is that we had no power in and of ourselves to fix this. So Paul has been exhorting the Gentile believer to remember that there was a time when we were without Christ, that there was a time when we were alienated from the citizenship of Israel, that There was a time when we were strangers to the covenants of promise, that there was a time when we were without hope and without God. He wants us to remember this. And so with all of this in mind, let's now turn our attention to verse 13, which reads, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, brothers and sisters, that was then. And praise the Lord, things are different for us Gentiles now. And so we see the contrast of before and now. Before, we were far off. But now, we have been brought near. And all of this is because of Christ. Before, we were without Christ. But now, Because we are united with Christ, we have been brought near. Before, we were alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and we were strangers to the covenants of promise. But now, by the same faith that Abraham had, we enjoy the salvation that was promised in the Messiah all those years ago. We have been brought near. Before, we were without hope and without God in this world, but now our hope is in Christ, who has raised us up. And we are now seated with him in the heavenly places. We have been brought near. And so God is now with us in this world. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones says the following two things, he says, are essential if we would understand the greatness of Christian salvation. The first is the realization of our condition apart from it. And the second is the realization of our condition as the result of it. We only enjoy the great mercies of salvation. We only experience the grace of God through salvation if we are in Christ. We are only brought near if we are in Christ. And Paul tells us why at the end of verse 13 when he says, by the blood of Christ. It is only by the blood of Christ. It is only because Christ is the one who has actually taken care of our sin problem that we are brought near, that we can enjoy the blessings of his grace and his mercy in salvation. It is only because of his blood that the Father has granted us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what is it about the blood of Christ that has brought us near? Well, in order order to understand this, we must remember what has separated us from God. In Romans 1, we begin to get a picture of what has separated us. Starting in verse 21, we read the following, For even though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. The heart of man is so wicked that when it has the glory of God in its grasp, the glory of God which is the greatest most valuable, most satisfying treasure. The glory of God which man was created to worship and enjoy. When the unregenerate man considers God's glory, instead of basking in it, instead of desiring it, instead of treasuring it, the unregenerate man exchanges it. He turns it in for mere images of that which is corruptible. The genuine desire of his heart is not for that which is most valuable, But instead, it is for that which is most corrupt, most wicked, most sinful, and even the most perverse. This idolatrous preference for anything but the glory of God is the essence of unrighteousness. It is the essence of sin. As Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's glory because we have exchanged His glory for mere lowly images of the corruptible. This sin is what formerly caused us to be without Christ and without God in this world. Thanks be to God that Romans 3 does not stop there. It does not stop with the condemning statement that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No, Romans 3 continues with the following glorious words being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. There it is. There is His blood, the blood that has brought us near. As Paul says, God displayed Christ publicly as a propitiation in His blood. 
It was our sin that caused us to be far off. And it was Christ's blood that brought us near. Because it was the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross that dealt with the problem of our sin, of our exchanging the glory of God for that which is corruptible. It was Christ's blood that propitiated the wrath of God which was against us because of our unrighteousness, because of our sin. It was this wrath that set us far off. And when Christ shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for our sin, for the sin of those whom he predestined, those whom he has chosen from eternity past, when he shed his blood for the church, the elect of God, his bride, the Father's wrath was poured out. It was quenched. And it was satisfied. In this way, the blood of Christ has brought us near. Remember, brothers and sisters, who we were when we were far off, so that we can, be, so that we can better appreciate what God has done in bringing us near to Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now I invite Noel to come back up and close us with a final song after I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that while we were formerly far off, that you have brought us near by the blood of Christ. Lord, may we cherish these words in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.